Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, also referred to as the 2015 nuclear deal with Iran, has been scrapped by the Trump administration almost five years ago. Since assuming office, the Biden administration has not been able to resuscitate the agreement, despite obsessive efforts, as there was no meeting of minds with the Islamic Republic, which hurriedly ratcheted up its nuclear development far beyond civic application. The JCPOA seems to have been overtaken by events, by Iran drawn to the Russian-Chinese axis, opposed to the US-led Western camp, and brutally oppressing its own citizens, aspiring for freedom from tyranny. Yet, while the deal is dormant, the European Union refuses to declare defeat and its high representative for foreign affairs, who also serves as coordinator of the so-called JCPOA, is trying to find some acceptable formula. Can it be successful? Let's turn to our experts all the way from New York City. Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency and a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me. As always, indeed, also joining us from Spain, Madrid, is Dr. Rafael Bardají, who is the CEO of Worldwide Strategy and former speci- uh, Spain's former National Security Advisor. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. A pleasure. Thank you. And with me in the studio, as always, our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding of the current state of play with regard to disagreement that we've covered so many times in the past. So the um, Iran uh, deal has been uh, pushed to the sideline because of Ukraine, because of uh, earlier this week, uh, both the uh, Biden visit uh, to Kiev uh, and then immediately thereafter, um, in order to overtake it, uh, the uh, Putin announcement regarding the suspension of the uh, New START talks, the nuclear Uh, arms control talks. And therefore, Iran uh, is now seen as a derivative of what is happening between the United States, Russia, and China vis-a-vis the Ukraine. Uh, Also because of what you said about the uh, Iranians uh, supplying drones uh, to Russia and because of the suppression um, of protests um, in Iran. However, uh, earlier this week, when uh, Secretary of State Blinken was asked about it, he mentioned two pieces of furniture. One was a table. All options are on the table, which is a hint, not really a threat, that down the road, if uh, diplomacy fails, a military action could be undertaken. The other piece of uh, furniture is a door. The door is still open. Uh, to uh, talks about uh, the JCPOA, even though it's been uh, five months now, since last September, when all the other parties to the JCPOA agreed to a certain formula, but the Iranians uh, did not even bother to reject it. They simply did not respond. So why does the EU and Mr. Borrell believe that uh, they have a chance uh, of reviving it? It's, it's a mystery, but 
sometimes in um, international affairs, uh, out of the blue, there does uh, come some semi-miracle. Well, uh, trying to understand the, the mind of Josep Borrell, the high representative of the European Union, will move to Madrid, where he, uh, of course, is from uh, as former uh, Spain, uh, Spain's former foreign minister. Uh, Dr. Barraki, what what is happening there? Why does, against all other projections, against everyone, even President uh, Biden slipped uh, the fact that this deal is uh, dead, why is uh, Josep Borrell so confident that he is able to revive this uh, piece of paper? Well, first of all, I think uh, he is reading carefully what the White House and the State Department are saying. And they are not declared yet dead completely uh, any potential for a new agreement. So the door is open for the Americans to engage again Iran and, and, and try to reach uh, GCPOA 2.0 or whatever it is going to call them. Secondly, Joseph Borrell is a person convinced of the need of autonomy, uh, strategic autonomy for European for the European Union or for Europe. But having said that, uh, I think we have a dichotomy here. One thing is what he is saying, and the European Commission is arguing. Another thing is what the European Parliament is saying and asking. And finally, the most important elements here are the capitals. And if you listen today, London, uh, Berlin, and, uh, and Paris, the three powers related to the Iranian nuclear portfolio, uh, I think uh, all of them are basically uh, sharing the, the, the view that Iran is advancing fast in the uh, nuclear program and that there is no way that the, any agreement will will satisfy them and will make force them to stop. No? So I think the European has many voices here and uh, Borrell is just playing uh, the role he has. No? Well, uh, let's uh, bring in uh, uh, if our top expert, but of course also uh, uh, arguably uh, one of uh, the world's top experts on this uh, matter, particularly Dr. Oli Heinonen. Uh, I'd like to ask you with regard to uh, the current uh, reports emerging out of uh, possibly the former agency, which uh, you were the deputy uh, director uh, there, the IAEA, uh, with uh, a diplomat telling Bloomberg uh, from uh, the, all the outlets that uh, Iran has uh, manufactured or enriched uranium up to 84%, uh, just 6% shy from 90%, which is, of course, military-grade material. To what degree do you think this uh, report uh, uh, could picture uh, an accurate depiction of uh, Iran's current uh, state of, of uh, development, uh, uh, of reaching that point of no return? Thank you. I think it is a good question, and this is actually a matter of great concern if we look now back one year. The whole Iranian enrichment program has radically changed. One year ago, in November 21, the inventory of low-ended uranium, which they say that they are producing in Natanz, was about 1.6 tons. Last year in November, it was 600 kilograms less, and the amount of 20% enriched uranium and 60% enriched uranium were radically increasing. 
So in reality, Iran had changed the course from low-enriched uranium to high-enriched uranium. That's important to know. And recently, Mr. Grossi said that they have even today more than 70 kilograms of 60% uh, enriched uranium. And that's a lot when you combine it with 20% enriched uranium. It's about a half a dozen nuclear weapons in less than, uh, material enough for half a dozen nuclear weapons in half a year. So let's put this one aside and then look what is this 84%. It should not be there. You cannot enrich accidentally to this uh, enrichment. It's a very unusual event if that has been taken place. And then let's refresh our memories. Actually, 84% is already weapons grade material. The first nuclear bomb dropped to Hiroshima had 80% of enriched uranium. 8% enriched uranium, not 84%. So this is already a material which is very unusual and a matter of concern. And then you look what they may have done. May perhaps produced 90% enriched uranium and we see it's just the traces. Or they have done experimentation. We have seen in last one year that they are experimenting uranium in such a way that they feed it to the centrifuge cascade, put it in collect higher enrichment on one side and the lower enrichment of tails on one side and then combine them and then tell to the IAEA that we didn't pass any of the limits. So what may have happened here is that this combination didn't go as planned. So it left some traces there and in reality they tested 90% enriched uranium production and we see traces of that. And then the third Possibility is that this is a contamination from some other installation. They are same workers, same instruments, so it could have been carried over. So IAEA will find it. Now they are investigating it. They have asked Iran to explain. But there is the last and the third concern which I have, and I think the international community has. Last September, when the IAEA board convened, Iran promised to address those long-standing four issues which also include presence of undeclared uranium particles. There has been no progress on that issue. There has not been a higher level technical meetings. Mr. Grossi has not visited uh, Tehran. So there is a stalemate over there. And what do you put all this together? There are two aspects on it. One is the Iran's technical capabilities. They have installed a lot of new centrifuges advanced, produced higher enrichment and are accumulating them for. That's one concern. And the other concern is this, that uh, they don't respond, respond to the IAEA request to clarify the issues. So they are in reality non-compliance with their safeguards undertakings. And this is a pattern which we have had for years. So I think that now the IAEA board and the Security Council are in a junction on the road. Now they have to decide whether to proceed, how to proceed, but one thing is sure, the old JCPOA as it is, it's not any more applicable and doesn't serve any purpose. Indeed. Well, Mr. Owen, uh, obviously, uh, number two and number three are of great concern. And uh, Mr. Gorsi has mentioned a few times, uh, the Director General of the IAEA, uh, that any answer that Iran had with regard to the outstanding questions, the, the four questions that uh, Dr. Han Yonen is referring to, uh, have been repeatedly 
uh, credibly uh, or technically uncredible, uh, the terminology that he was using. Uh, so now with a new investigation with regard to potentially uh, the, the testing of, of 90% nuclear uh, materials, uh, enough weapons-grade material for half a dozen uh, nuclear weapons, where is the, the pledge by Jerusalem to never let that happen? Where is the pledge of the United States to never let that uh, happen? At least not within the, the time that they're in office. Uh, something that, of course, has been uh, not as vocal in recent months. So uh, it depends on uh, what you mean by uh, never letting that happen. What is that? that? If that is a nuclear weapon uh, operationally ready um, on the launch pad, obviously uh, Israel will never let that uh, happen or even uh, a few actions short of that. But because the Iranians have been slicing the pastrami very, very thin, adding each time only just a little, not breaking out um, in a flagrant uh, fashion. And even in their correspondence uh, with the IAEA, uh, when uh, they dissemble and when they, they avoid answers, um, they have chosen a very uh, moderate and polite tone. They are not assertive, they are not aggressive, they are trying to stall. Um, uh, they are answering questions by questions. What do you mean by asking us? So right now, um, the uh, most important factor is political will by Joe Biden. And because Biden is invested in the Ukraine and in some nine months will have to start his re-election campaign if he decides to run again, what he has to decide is whether he has enough political capital to invest on the Iranian issue, in the Iranian issue. If he does, we will see some shift in American policy. Well, uh, Dr. Barraki, I'd like to ask you this. I'll keep the Europeans out of this for, for this stage because obviously when we're talking about strong power, they're not truly a factor vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran. The United States, does the Biden administration, being perceived as weak, have enough incentives to use the so-called all options on the table, the, the military option or plan B, so, so to speak? Well, let me remind you that the Iran change the rhythm or the behavior, the nuclear behavior of the, of the program, as far as I know, in only three occasions. First one, 2003, when the American troops were in Iraq, very close to Iran, and they really perceived the potential for an invasion from the American side. Uh, the second one, 2012, when uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu went to the United Nations, draw the bomb, the 20% and, 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 and they perceive that the Americans may do something in order to avoid the Israeli to attack the nuclear installations. So instead of crossing the line that Netanyahu set at the United Nations, they move horizontally and produce more 20% enriched uranium, but they change the, 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 the program somehow. And finally, they froze the, the program for a few months 
after President Trump uh, gave green light to the elimination of Soleimani. Uh, so with all of this, what I'm trying to say is that when the, when the Iranians perceive that America has a military credible option on the table, uh, they try to avoid uh, a major risk because they have been always developing the program and the, the strategy of the safer way to achieve the bomb, not the fastest. Uh, and so only the American instill such a high degree of fear in them that only the administration, whoever is in the White House, may change their behavior. Uh, unfortunately, what the Iranian has saw in the last two years that the international community and the American president are distracted or not interested enough, and they have accelerated clearly the enriching pro program capabilities. No? So it's a matter of the White House to uh, address the issue of credibility and bringing back some kind of uh, military option that nobody wants to use, but it's the only credible threat that the Western world has against uh, the Iranian nuclear program nowadays. Uh, following up on this, uh, the Americans are very interest-driven, like every country is interest-driven, but the Americans have this in front of their face all the time, uh, regardless of Democratic or Republican. And therefore, I, I, I'd like to ask you, with regard to this, what is the American interest of having Iran at this stage, at such a, a, a high level of, of nuclear development to uh, basically on the path to a nuclear weapon in the next several months if, if the Iranians decide to actually put all the dots together and, and gain some information from the Russians to complete the task? Well, I think that's a good question. No, uh, the Americans always has been against uh, proliferation, and I think that a goal that they still keep alive. Uh, second, they consider a nuclear Iran a very uh, actor of instability in the region. And finally, they will consider with a higher capacity to launch uh, intercontinental or long-range ballistic missiles, nuclear tip, a threat to European allies and a threat potentially to American interest, though they have to increase also the deterrent posture vis-a-vis -vis Iran. Uh, but also there are the current things in the last year. No? I think we are seeing a rapprochement between Moscow and Tehran in many fields, not only the drones in Ukraine, but financially, technically, um, who knows, maybe some help for the nuclear program as well in the future. Uh, so I think uh, for the American interest, uh, clearly it's not a good option that the, that the Tehran becomes nuclear and the, the present regime of the, the, the Ayatollahs. No? Uh, but having said that, there is always a divergent view. What is the vital divide in between Israel and, and, and America? Israel cannot afford one nuclear bomb in the hands of, uh, of uh, Tehran, and the Americans can probably afford a small nuclear stop, stockpile in the hands of the Ayatollahs, believing that they can deter any option or any future option of the Iranian nuclear program against them. Uh, so that's the issue. Dr. Heinonen, I'd like to hear uh, your perspective from a technical point of view. With all the latest data emerging and, and the fact that, of course, the Iranians are conducting uh, various activities behind the scenes which are not yet uh, totally exposed, uh, what, at what stage are they before they could truly assimilate a nuclear weapon? We've, of course, heard your prior assessments, but with the latest information added to that. We can look at uh, 
in two ways. One is to look at the material quantities which are there. Now they have some 70 kilograms of 60% enriched uranium and maybe 400 kilograms of the 20% enriched uranium. Enough for half a dozen nuclear weapons if you turn it to uranium metal. This is not a big quantity in terms of volume. They are about maybe some 20 small cylinders. They can take them overnight to a place which we will not know. Then it will be very difficult to bomb if we don't know. That's good to keep in mind. Then if they want to turn it to uh, higher 90% enriched uranium and turn it to metal. The metal they have already experimented uh, 20 years ago. There was this famous uh, document which they got from A.Q. Khan, which was never really properly uh, explained. So they know how to make uranium metal. It's not those tiny small vessels which people are focusing in Isfahan. That work was the one, and this was the work which was done in Lavis and Shian, which is one of the questions which is open. So they are pretty well kind of set up. Then we don't know about the delivery vehicle, but they probably will have in a reasonable time a nuclear explosive. And here comes then the difference between various parties. US can perhaps handle it. Russia can handle it if it comes to that. But what about the neighboring countries? It will be very, very different ball game for them, including Israel, but also Saudi Arabia. So we are, in my view, in a very tricky situation where some leadership and statementhood is needed. But unfortunately, it's not visible. I'd like to uh, ask once more, as you've mentioned, the countries surrounding Iran. Uh, there have been various projects ongoing where the Russians uh, were developing a nuclear reactor uh, for the, the Turk, uh, for Turkey, a nuclear reactor for Egypt in cooperation, of course, with Saudi Arabia and uh, other projects uh, throughout the region. Uh, to what degree is this stalled because of the situation currently uh, between Russia and Ukraine? And uh, are we to expect uh, the the country surrounding Iran to sit idly by and not seek to attain at least a certain uh, nuclear deterrent vis-a-vis -vis Iran if uh, they manage to break through? Obviously, the the whole region will change for the worst. No, there will be an horizontal proliferation as fast as they could attain a, a nuclear capabilities. Saudi Arabia is well prepared. They were the founders of the Pakistani nuclear program, so they may have something in return. Um, and obviously, Turkey and Egypt are always there, no? uh, and we know that it's not it's not impossible to to, to get a nuclear bomb, no? a nuclear program going on, no? as we have seen in many places. But I would like to to, to point something something different. No, it's that uh, uh, we have been focusing on the enriched uranium because it's the vital one of the vital components for a nuclear uh, bomb. But when they reach ninety percent. Uh, degree of enriched uranium, as Oli Hainanen has said, all the phases that we can expect, the, the weaponization phase, let's say, will be conducted in the small facilities, and the intelligence of where they are, what they are doing, what they are achieving, will be much more difficult, if not impossible, than just monitoring and controlling what is happening in the major facilities, big facilities, like Fordor or Isfahan or others. No? So it will be qualitative, a different game for the intelligence community to understand where they are no? and what the timeline of getting a nuclear arsenal ready.
indeed, Dr. Heinonen. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with this assessment. It will be much, much more difficult. Certainly, the Iranian uh, system is compromised because we see some vital intelligence information coming out, which has jeopardized some of their activities and blocked progress. But I take you as an example, uh, South Africa, which was in 1980s in a focus. Uh, nuclear material was produced in the nuclear center. We saw there are large enrichment plant. But people didn't know where the actual weapon was fabricated. That came only known when South Africa revealed its secrets. And they were two small buildings in the middle of a military car uh, training and testing area. So these kind of buildings, as the spe previous speaker said, they don't have really a signature which you can find from outside. So the only way to get it is intelligence, mainly human intelligence, and perhaps from some communications. And this will be the problem, because you cannot bomb unknown. Indeed. Mr. Owen? Um, when we speak about uh, a credible military threat, uh, we usually imagine an offensive uh, capability being built up. But there is also the complementary defensive capability. And the US uh, Central Command, CENTCOM, has been diligently building up this integrated defense and integrated deterrence, especially anti-missile missile defense, with which Israel is also involved in the Gulf. Because obviously, whoever attacks Iran, the Gulf countries are going to bear the brunt of retaliation. So this is one track which is being worked on now. Uh, we, we shouldn't uh, um, uh, look at it uh, as if it is not uh, done. Yes, they are working on it. The other point, when President Biden and his advisors consider it, they know that it could be open-ended. They will order a strike, but the Iranians can draw out uh, their response through the election season. They all remember what happened to Jimmy Carter in 1980 um, when Khomeini uh, dragged out the hostage crisis until Reagan won over Carter and was inaugurated. Indeed, well, so we should expect Trump back in office by 2024. We should expect Reagan back in office. <laughs> well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Heinonen and Dr. Bardahi for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank Mr. Owen as well, and to thank all of you back home. I hope uh, this uh, provided you some insightful information. Uh, until next time, shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.